Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Titan Size Podcast. I am Luke Worsham, joined by the other two hosts of the Titan Size Podcast, Matthias Wander and Will Lomas. Back after a uh, a brief sabbatical, we were going to do an episode, I think, after the Combine, uh, but it didn't work out with all of our schedules. But we're back for a, uh, a free agency update, which is something that the Titans have attacked pretty aggressively. And we'll just go ahead and hop right in and start with the very first move that the Titans made. And that was re-signing Kenny Vaccaro. Before we get into the details of that, that contract, I just want to say this. You know, everyone knows and, and saw Vaccaro retweeting all of those fans, uh, you know, saying, we want to bring Vaccaro back or, and all that. And he said something interesting today. He said that it wasn't that hard because he there wasn't a single person he saw that was like, you know, the Titans don't need to bring this guy back. What a waste of money. He said that's, that's so rare. And it really is rare to not have any trolls. And I think that speaks to what Vaccaro did last year in relief of Jonathan Cyprian. Yeah, he kind of just did everything right. uh, Just came in, uh, replaced Cyprian, and and also uh, upgraded him if if he were to go by Cyprian's first year with the Titans, uh, which really didn't go as planned. Uh, In fact, Vaccaro just kind of, you know, brought something different to the team than Cyprian would. Or, or can, uh, and, and I think that that was it. it just made the the defensive secondary just really versatile, um, because him and Byard, um, they're not the same type of player, but they can both cover um, as well as play in the box, um, both at a high level. Um, so it really gave Dean Pease and Mike Rabel um, a lot to work with um, as a safety tandem, um, and you just never really you just never really heard his name in a bad light. Um, either from within the locker room or in games. He just didn't make mistakes, came in, um, did what he had to do, and he got a, a really well-deserved uh, payday for it. Yeah, I think the uh, Ken, Kenny Vaccaro appreciation game was the Chargers game in England where he wasn't playing and Kendrick Lewis played, and we got torched on three plays that were like all over 60 or 70 yards or something like maybe it was just 50 yards but I mean it was very clear that the difference in that game was Kenny Vaccaro wasn't on his side and he would have prevented some of those plays and then you know he came back after the bye week and played well and he played started his career early there really weren't any down parts for Vaccaro he just he kind of does exactly what the Titans need opposite Bayard is Byard should really be the guy who, if you're trying to stop somebody, you know, in the run game, load him in the box and let him go. If you're trying to stop a passer, leave Byard back. And then Vaccaro can kind of do whatever uh, Byard isn't. So 
I think he really helps the Titans. I really like that he's under contract long term for you know pretty reasonable money. And I mean, it just feels like if you've got a guy who excels in your system that's supposedly really complicated for defensive backs, and he can communicate well, and he's well liked, you know, why not make that guy a long term you know starter and bring him into the locker room and keep him there? When I first saw the contract. I was taken back by how uh, team-friendly, I guess it is, because when I wrote a couple of weeks ago about what I thought Vakura would get, I took a look at really two contracts, that being what Eric Reed got from uh, the Panthers and what Tony Jefferson was given by the Baltimore Ravens a couple of years ago. And in terms of both annual average and guaranteed money, and really, I think, total money, Vaccaro is making significantly less than both of those guys, and I would argue that he's a better player than Eric Reed. Maybe not better than Tony Jefferson, but you know, even with NFL inflation, he's making less than those guys. Which you know, kudos to the Titans for getting him at that price. Yeah, uh, I would expect him to get a contract like this if it were a different year. Uh, but after seeing some of the contracts that, particularly the safeties, have gotten uh, this offseason. Um, with just, you're right, and inflation seems to have taken over the NFL. Um, I, I think it, it was a really good piece of business uh, by John Robinson. Uh, and I think Vaccaro probably got or gave us a little bit of a, I would not hometown discount, but just the discount of, of having played here uh, last year and just really uh, feeling like he fit in um, and, and that he was wanted back. Um, so I, I think he could have gotten probably a little bit more money elsewhere, but I'm, I'm glad we got him for, for what we did, especially when you see uh, Landon Collins, who, who's a fantastic player. Um, but I, I don't think anyone could really argue that he's worth um, however much more per year, like $7 yeah. million more per year um, than Vaccaro is getting. Yeah, that, I mean, that's the weird thing is Vaccaro was – you know, probably as good or better than any other safety on the market, at least last year, other than Landon Collins and maybe Earl Thomas. People are excited about Amos. I think he's fine. Um, but he got, like, nothing. I mean, it's like $6.5 million a year, which, I mean, we're borderline on the point where that's kicker money. Like, that, I mean, he was one of – the best, what, 40 safeties in the league. I mean, probably way higher than that, but at the very bottom, he was top 40. And, you know, he's getting paid like a mid-tier guy. I mean, it's a really good job by Robinson, and I don't know if that was something that he and his agent, Robinson and his agent, had worked on for a while, and that was, you know, this is the lowest Kenny will take to come back or whatever. But, I mean – if you want to talk about overpaying for defensive linemen or, or whatever that Robinson's done in the past, I mean, this was a great deal. It was essentially the same deal that Cyprian got. So, you know, two years later in a crazier market, two or three years later in a crazier market, you essentially get the same deal to a, a potential Pro Bowl safety. I, I don't know. I just I can't say enough good things about how I feel not being overextended for a guy who I really like as a second piece in the backfield, but who's probably not worth like real star starter money. And I think what's good about this move, in addition to all of that, is the fact that the Titans are going to keep their guys together, right? Because, you know, even if they were just like, you know, well, we want to keep Cyprian and we'll just move on from Vocaro, 
you know, you have to integrate Cyprian back into the mix. And and now there's this comfort level in the in the defensive backfield between Vaccaro and Bayard, but even up close between Adoree Jackson and what Vaccaro likes, and, and Malcolm Butler and Logan Ryan. And keeping all those guys together uh, was a really good decision. Yeah, I, I mean, we, we talked about continuity in the last podcast when we talked about Arthur Smith taking over um, at offensive coordinator and what continuity could do for Mariota. Uh, I think it's just as important to have continuity within a, a defensive backfield uh, just because they they need to, like, kind of, you know, know where each other is uh, on any given play kind of telepathically uh, and, yeah. and know their tendencies. Uh, because we saw, we even saw it last year when Kendrick Lewis came in for a few games. Oh, uh, our secondary was awful. Had, had uh, someone send me the, a tweet yesterday and tell me that... Uh, that Kendrick Lewis was, uh, I don't remember, he, there was some disease, he said. I can't remember, but he used a, di- a disease to describe Kendrick Lewis. Yeah, the, I mean, I don't want to go that far. Yeah. But, uh, when, Parasite, when that was our, it. Parasite. Parasite, yeah. I mean, I mean that's, yeah, it's pretty fair. I can't even, can't even argue. Yeah, but, Kendrick but, yeah, that, Lewis isn't bad. He's just an old, he's like a 33-year, 32-year-old yeah, exactly. state yeah, he, I really didn't even think it was his fault, man. Uh, like he's just not that great. He, I think he was put in a position where he he shouldn't have been in. He's put in his position, uh, especially fail. in that in that Chargers game where, where honestly, legitimately, both of those long touchdowns were were probably his fault. Yeah. Um, if we actually had like like the play call and scheme that was designed for that specific play, so I mean that should that should tell you pretty much all you need to know about how important. Um, bringing back Vaccaro is for the for the secondary. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think we pretty much covered it. It's it's mm-hmm. really good to have continuity. You know, they've got five starters back from last year, and honestly, it was a pretty down year for everybody except for Adore and Logan Ryan. Like, not that they played badly, but I mean, Bayard didn't have game changing plays, which I think he'll have more of this year. So it's like. You could see a situation where Vaccaro, Byard, and Malcolm Butler, everything breaks right for them instead of for Adoree and Logan Ryan. And then you've got five guys who are bona fide playmakers in your defensive backfield, which the Titans are the only team in the league, at least from my perspective, that have five guys who really scare you. Yeah. Uh, before we move into talking about some of the, the new free agents that the Titans have signed, I'd just like to point out the fact that for whatever reason, right now in my mentions, there's an argument happening over whether Blake Bortles or Marcus Mariota is a better quarterback. And I just can't do that right what? now. Who? <laughs> Who is arguing well, this? Well, this guy named Brosif is arguing for Bortles, and our friends oh, cool. at the Football and Other F-Words podcast are, are trying to put him in his place. Um. I mean, I guess he threw for 33 touchdowns that one year, right? Is that what it was? Oh, yeah, that's, that's cool. exactly it. He's, he's just shouting stats and yeah. saying that because Bortles has more touchdowns, then he's better. Yeah, people did that with Jameis, too, with Mariota. And I think <laughs> we've all seen how that turns out. Like, volume stats are not a stat to go by, and neither are wins. Like, if we're, if we're going to talk about it, you know, that's a stat that gets thrown around a lot with Mariota. And, you know, rightfully so in that there's a lot of times where it's a tie game or it's close late and he ends up pushing them over the top either with a long run or a good pass or whatever. Yeah. I mean, that kind of gets pushed in his favor. But honestly, 
there's very few times when he's healthy or 90% or above where I don't feel like the Titans have a chance. Like it, yeah. that, and, that's, and, and that's what it comes down to I for me is, is, is when he's on the field, he gives the Titans a chance to win. You can't say that with a Blake Bortles or a, uh, you know, Blaine Gabbard or whoever, Tyrod Taylor. I mean, Andy Dalton, like there, there's a hundred guys in the league where it's, I mean, not hundred, but I mean, there's several starters in the league where you feel like their max is six wins for a season. Yeah. Like, Without I, I know everybody's excited about Josh Allen's ability to throw the ball like 50 yards farther than anybody else, but I mean, I don't think he's going to win you eight to ten games in a year. Mm-hmm. There's there's certain guys you don't feel like they're in it 100% and they're not going to stop until the game's over, but that's just, I mean, Marcus is just not that kind of guy, and uh, the reason he has so many game-winning drives and all that is because the Titans just refuse to blow teams out. Part of that is on him. Yeah. But at the end of the day, all I hope for when I watch a Titans game from a fan perspective is, okay, with you know half of, half of the fourth quarter left, just let it be a one-possession game and let the offense get a chance to try. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so let's move into some of these new Titans that uh, were introduced to the media on Thursday – and their contracts also made official on Thursday. Let's start with Adam Humphreys, a signing that was rumored slash halfway announced by the NFL insiders on Monday afternoon. And then there was this rumor floating around yesterday, that being Wednesday, that maybe New England gave him this last-ditch offer to, in an effort to pry him away from the Titans but he doubled down to stay with the Titans. He ultimately confirmed that those rumors were true. Uh, what does Humphreys give the Titans, guys? Just a really good slot receiver who's very reliable. I know those are like the most cliche, stereotypical things I could say about a white slot receiver. Um, but it it's very true. Um, his catch rate has been fantastic through his career. Um, he really doesn't drop a lot of passes at all. Uh, he knows how to get open. He's also very good. Um, in the screen game um, when he's given an opportunity. Um, and I've seen some people knock him for 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 either his production or like being the fifth fifth uh, option in the Buccaneers offense. I mean, why is, it, why is that a bad thing? The Buccaneers offense was absolutely stacked, um, and it was tough to even break into that. Uh, and when he was thrown to, he was incredibly productive and efficient. So um, I think those uh, those concerns are... Should, should be dispelled. Uh, I really like that. Like him. Um, I really like that he's 25 years old too, or just turned 26 um, uh, recently. So he's still in the prime of his career and probably has his best ball ahead of him. Uh, and, and this is probably going to let uh, Corey Davis work outside mostly. He worked a lot in the slot last year just because we really every, every other receiver was was just playing bad. Um, yeah. So we needed him there, but I, I think this allows Davis to to play um, fully outside uh, and and let him use those playmaking skills uh, more. So before we talk, before I talk about what Humphreys does specifically, I think it's important to note that maybe last year and the two years before that, the Titans wouldn't have gone out and signed a guy who's basically a designated slot receiver because they were so focused on two tight end sets and mm-hmm. fullbacks and all that kind of stuff. Having a guy that you paid $9 million a year 
and whose only job in Tampa Bay is to play slot, and that's really exactly like what he is, for better or worse, kind of tells me that this offense is not going to be as you know monotonous and run heavy and boring I guess is the best way to describe it which is what it has been for the past you know three or four years or forever I guess but uh, I think that's important to note but what Humphreys does is he has a really I guess the best way to describe it is violent break out of his routes like it's something that no other Titan has and I, I love Corey Davis I'm fan number one in the Corey Davis fan club. But the one thing he lacks is that real aggressive hard break out of the top of his stem. He can't really do it with uh, balance like I think I wanted him to be able to. But other than that, he's got everything you could ask. But Humphreys is a guy who, okay, if you're running, you know, a slot or if you're running a slant route, you know, he's going to be as violent as he can. And then if you're running any routes off of that, like a sluggo or something like that, he's going to be so violent in those breaks that if a defender is trying to cheat and come over the top, he's probably going to end up out of position. So that's something that the Titans don't really have. And I mean, the most important thing, and we've talked about it, is he catches the ball. He catches the ball for first downs. And even if he takes a big hit, or even if, you know, he's got somebody on his back. He's a guy who he's going to get you an extra yard or more every time you throw it to him. So, I mean, he he's what the the prototypical New England slot guy is, and I think fans should be excited about that. But because he played for Tampa instead of New England last year, it, that he's not getting the hype he should have. When I first saw the signing, I tweeted that uh, that I thought it was a uh, an uninspiring move, and then Matthias got on to me after that. <laughs> Um, but, I, but I went back uh, the next day when I got a chance, and I watched uh, the, the Buccaneers play the Cowboys. And, and what I noticed is, as you mentioned, Will, uh, that sort of violent break that he has and then he's able to, to do very well, I noticed that he's a lot faster than I thought he would be in terms of you know when he's in the open field being able to outrun people. And mm-hmm. what I also noticed is that on screen passes – he doesn't dance around. He sticks his foot in the ground and he goes north to south instead of east to west like so many of these guys want to do. And I think those are certainly really good traits uh, to put on the Titans offense because they've in a lot of ways been missing that. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely important. I, I mean, our best screen guy last year was was probably Tay one, um, but he, he wasn't always great at it. Uh, Batson had a couple of screen passes that he took for about 10 yards, but he, he's just not really, you know, a, a playmaker with the ball in his hands. Um, and he's too small to really make anything happen after the catch. Uh, so I think Humphreys is definitely a clear upgrade there. Um, yeah, I, I'm excited to see, um, to see how they incorporate him into the offense. Um, and, and I think it should be a sign of what's to come on offense because like, like Will said, uh, you don't just sign a designated slot receiver if you're not going to play him um, essentially full-time. So um, I- I'm intrigued to see if they're going forward with Arthur Smith's preferred scheme. Um, so uh, this could be uh, could be a signal for that. Yeah, I mean, it's I guess the best way to kind of say my feelings on it is I like to have a guy who is not limited in what he can do even if he has a defined role like a slot like 
Humphreys is a guy who you can throw on a big play. You know, you can you can have him run a sluggo or something like that. You can throw it to him underneath on a crossing route. You can have him have like run a screen. You can have him block. Like he he can do anything you would ask of a, a slot wide receiver, which is not the case with everybody. I mean, there. I mean, I don't think you could do that with Colby. I mean, I, I'm not going to go through a list of all the people that play slot who can't do everything. But if you're going to be a slot receiver and you're going to make a lot of money, you have to be able to do everything, and you can't be predictable when you're on the field. So, or you have to be like an elite deep threat or something like Tyreek Hill could be. But I think it's better to have a guy, and we have too many guys like uh, Deion Lewis, who when he's on the field, you know if it's going to be a pass, it's probably not going to be to Derrick Henry, so you're more alert for a pass then. You want to have guys on the field who, like LaFleur said last year, you know, you want everything to look the same, but for defenses to not know what's coming. And I think he gives you another piece uh, that can kind of do that, whether that's, you know, like you said, a screen or a slant or whatever, which, you know, I, I'll pay $9 million for a complete pay, player. I think the biggest thing that Humphreys brings the Titans is that he knows what he's doing. And, and I'll explain what I mean by that for a second. But first, I want to play a, a quote from Humphreys earlier today in his press conference where he kind of talked about this. Yeah, I think that that's really important, you know, at this level. Um, everyone's fast, everyone's strong, everyone can move. Um, what separates, you know, the, the good from the great is understanding where to be at the right time and whether, you know, whether it's man zone, um, whatever coverage they're throwing at you, understanding, you know, the angles and, you know, where to be and, and the spots to be. And, and that comes with a repetition with quarterback and, and understanding, you know, the offensive coordinator is going to put you in, in the right spot to win. So, so what I mean by know what he's doing is – a lot of times last year when Taewon Taylor and Tanjay Sharp would be out there, it was almost like they were just kind of running around, you know, doing whatever. Like, they'd have their route, and they'd run it the best they could, but they didn't know the ins and outs of playing the receiver position. Like, Corey Davis seemed to be developing that. And Delaney Walker at the tight end spot has that. But the Titans, especially after Walker went down, had no one who knew what they were doing, who wasn't just fast, who wasn't just, you know, oh, he has good hands. Adam Humphreys knows what he's doing. He knows how to set people up. He knows how to find the open space and zone coverage. He can improvise. And I think that that's really big for the Titans. And no, he's not the most exciting guy. And is it a little uninspiring? Maybe. I'll kind of take that back a little bit. But he's going to be a really big addition for Marcus Mariota, someone that he can consistently rely on, which is something he didn't have yeah. last year. Yeah, I, th I think that's a really good point. Uh, I think maybe the only other receiver on the roster who actually had a semblance of an idea of what he was doing, uh, at least from a route-running perspective, was Tajay Sharp. But he's just so limited by his own athleticism. Um, he really doesn't, doesn't bring you anything when, when the play breaks down. Um, it, like Humphreys does, I, I agree. He he, it does know uh, what to do when the quarterback breaks to the pocket and tries to make something happen. Uh, because Jameis did that so often in Tampa Bay. He, he's one of those guys who loves to 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 break a tackle uh, from within the pocket, go to either the right or the left, and try to make something happen. Usually, it ends up in an interception, um, but sometimes it does end up um, in a big play. And Humphreys usually was there 
um, as an outlet. Uh, and I think that could be really beneficial for Mariota, who really hasn't had that type of of player on his team or receiver on his team since I, I don't know. Uh, who's the last receiver who actually does well, that? I mean, Delaney um, Walker is that, but not as a Rashard, wide receiver. Rashard, yeah, yeah, Rashard yeah. from time to time. Yeah, when is prime? Um, but yeah, like what you're saying is is he's polished. Like that's that's what I think of when I think of a polished receiver is he understands exactly what he is. He knows exactly how to do what he wants to do, and you're going to get a consistent performance. And Nate Washington was the last truly you know, polished wide receiver the Titans had. Richard was close, but I mean, I think, I think if the Titans had Nate Washington today, and I think if he was in the league today, he would have a role more similar to Humphreys than he does to Corey Davis. And I think that's what you want is you want guys who, you know, if it's third down, and this is what Delaney Walker has been forever, but if it's third down and the pocket breaks down and you have to roll out, you know that that guy says, okay, it's a scramble drill. I know that my job is to go here and find the spot here. Like that's what you want in players, and the Titans just don't have that. And that's why Mariota ends up taking all these excessive hits or having to tuck the ball and run, or why he holds onto the ball too long is because I don't think the guys he has catching the balls are doing what they're supposed to do, and so he's turned into being this natural thrower into I have to hesitate to make sure that Taewon Taylor runs, you know, five yards instead of four and a half or three or eight. Like he he's it's in you know, I don't want to be uh malarkey and say it's like wide receiver depth is the issue and this, that and the other, but I do think inconsistency in route running is a big issue with quarterback play that doesn't get talked about enough and with Humphreys you're going to get consistency so Mm -hmm. yeah I mean I I'm excited about the signing it they're not done at wide receiver they're going to have to do something else outside but for what he is I think he's great uh, oh go ahead can I bring up a question real quick yes yeah I just saw the Golden Tate numbers uh-huh. Um, so he, he got four years, $37 million. Yeah, which, isn't a t- which is just like a tad more than what Humphreys got. Yeah, I was going to say, would you rather have Tate for that money? He he got more guaranteed than Humphreys, or would you rather have Humphreys? Isn't Tate 31? Yeah, That's the old. thing. That's my thing. There's like a huge age difference. Tate's 30 right now, um, mm-hmm. and Humphreys is 25? It yeah. just turned 26. Oh, just turned twenty six. So the question is, would you rather have guaranteed money that extends to Tate to when he's thirty four, or would you rather have Humphreys? Oh, never mind. He's twenty five. I'm sorry. Okay, or twenty nine. So, I mean, for me, I would rather have Humphreys mainly because I think if you have Tate, not okay. I love Tate. I think he would have been a great signing with Tennessee, but I think with Humphreys, you know exactly what you're getting, and you're getting a slot receiver. I think if you get Tate, it kind of blurs that line between wide receiver two, slot receiver, how much should he be featured. I think now we all know that the Titans need another outside receiver, whereas if they decide Tate, it's like, well, you've kind of got that guy, so maybe they steer clear of that position. So just for the clarity and the age, I would go with Humphreys. Yeah, I'm with you. And honestly, I I didn't think Tate – once he joined the Eagles last year, I know it's hard to join a new team 
uh, midseason, but he he was not good, and he yeah. really wasn't a factor at all. So I I don't know I I, I don't especially if we would have given him a four year deal until he's thirty four that is that is quite a commitment for for yeah. an aging receiver. Yeah, I yeah. tend to go default to the age on that one. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about Roger Saffold because I think if I was John Robinson, that would have been my number one target. I say that like he's not an actual human being. He would have been my number one target heading into free agency because of just how awful the Titans' interior offensive line was last year. And look, they've had that same group of five together for the last three seasons. And finally last year, it's like the, the, the last straw that broke the camel's back. Like, finally... Vrabel and John Robinson said, this isn't good enough anymore. It's why they let Quentin Spain walk, and it's why they brought in Roger Saffold to try to provide really two things. Number one is some stability, because he's an all-pro, unlike Quentin Spain, who was this undrafted free agent who sometimes overperformed, sometimes not really. Uh, And he's also going to bring some athleticism to the Titans' offensive line, because Josh Klein is not athletic. Ben Jones is not athletic. Jack Conklin is borderline athletic. Quentin Spain certainly was not. Obviously, Taylor Lewan is. And it's going to allow them to, in this zone scheme where you're moving a lot and having to plug into open space, it's going to give them some more flexibility to do some stuff. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, we should probably be athletic if, if we're going to run a zone blocking scheme. Yeah. Exactly. So, uh, so uh, yeah, that's a bit of a problem. Uh, yeah, when I made my little uh, Titans wish list, uh, I put Matt pa- Paradise on it uh, just because I thought we needed an, a good interior line who's been established. Um, and Saffold's pretty much, I, I mean, he, he's just as good as Paradise. Uh, granted, they, they do play uh, different positions, but they're both interior offensive linemen. Uh, and I think the Titans still feel okay about Ben Jones. Uh, we'll see. He, I thought he ended the year well, so um, he'll probably stick at center uh, unless they want to give Corey Levin a chance. But yeah, I, I, like I'm going to be honest, I don't, I don't watch offensive linemen play very often. I don't know the nuances of the position, um, but by all accounts, um, he's still uh, one of the best guards in the entire league. Uh, and, and I don't think it's a surprise that the Rams. Uh, offensive renaissance came w- with him with him on that line. I, I mean, the running game was fantastic. Um, for, uh, from the clips I've seen, he's very aggressive, uh, and he he can get out there. He does look really athletic, especially for a guy his size. It's it's quite a uh, it's quite shocking. Uh, and the fact that golf barely got touched um, over the last two years, I I think that's um, that's a good uh, barometer for for how good Saffold was and how we meshed with uh, Andrew Whitworth. Um, I if you're gonna cite the PFF uh, uh, pass blocking grade for Saffold in comparison to Quentin Spain's from last year, please do not take it into account because I remember uh, from the Ravens game they cited that Spain ha- gave up zero quarterback pressures, and I went to the to the to the game. I looked and there was at least one play where someone. Was complete where Spain was completely at fault for a sack. So I don't know what they were watching, but I wouldn't take that as as gospel, as as you all know already. Our good friends at Pro Football Focus, we're going to be sponsored by them one day. I just know it. (laughs) They will only say nice things. Yes. (laughs) Um, I mean, it's it's 
Mm, I, I guess let me rephrase this. I've historically been against giving up big assets like first-round draft picks or one interior offensive lineman. You really have, and that's why I was kind of interested to see your reaction to this. So, like, generally, I don't like doing that. I think it's a bad idea. I think the uh, Jacksonville paid Andrew Norwell thirteen million or something last year, like annually, and I mean they're they're terrible they have a bad offensive line he got hurt late in the year but he sucked anyway like there it was a bad decision by them but I think there's a fundamental difference if you've seen an offensive lineman can do everything you want him to do if you're not asking him to play above the level you've seen they're not going to ask him to do anything that he can't do like they're not going to make Saffold a pulling guard or anything like that they're going to run a zone scheme and they're going to run it based off of the offense it won't be the exact same but it's going to be based off the offense he ran for the last two years and even said it in his press conference where he said you know I'm an outsider I can help these guys understand what we're supposed to do and I think those little things make it a different situation. I, I came into the offseason thinking there were three different interior offensive linemen that were like the top tier, and it was Mitch Morse and Matt Paradise, who were both centers, and Roger Saffold, mainly because of what he can do in the offensive line room as well as on the field. I mean, he's a huge wide-body guy who is very athletic he kind of reminds you of uh, Jason Peters a little less of a weird body type but somebody who's really big and shouldn't be as athletic as he is mm-hmm. but he can, he can get out in front on screen plays he's got a really good idea of where he's supposed to go he loves hitting linebackers almost as much as he loves hitting defensive backs I mean he's a guy who Quentin Spain had the attitude to be next to Taylor Juan but Saffold has the attitude and the athleticism to do it, and that's really what you want on your left side because that's going to be your strong side. They, they're going to line up a lot, and I, I would imagine, I don't know this for sure, with a slot receiver to the left side of the field and Delaney Walker to the right side so that you help Jack Conklin in pass protection with chips and by widening out the defensive end. And then the left side you get kind of an easier edge to run on, and that, I think, should be your base offense. Like That makes so much sense to me. But to do that, you have to have an athletic guard so that the three-tech or the one-tech doesn't automatically get in the backfield and hit Derrick Henry. And Saffold said that today, too. He said, you know, a big part of what we did for Todd Gurley was getting a body on a body and making sure he could at least get a yard or two before he got contact. And if you got a guy who can change the left side of the line to, okay, every time Derrick Henry gets the ball and he runs it to the left, he's going to get at least one or two yards free. Derrick Henry will run for 2,000 yards this year. Because that's been his biggest problem is when something closes early and he stops his feet at the line mm-hmm. of scrimmage. He get, if he can get ahead of steam going, I mean, he'll run, like, like again, like Saffold said, like that's a guy who can get six yards of carry. And he obviously won't do that because – it's just an impossible number to hit. But it's not crazy to think that for when he runs on the left side that he averages six yards a carry. So I think how this improves your quarterback play, your running back, and the rest of the offensive linemen around him, I think this is one of the few exceptions where it makes sense to spend money on a guard. And not only that, again, another reason why I like it so much is the Texans wanted him, and he chose Tennessee – and then I oh, think the, the Titans over the Texans. Yeah. Like, and then he also picked them over the Vikings. And I would assume 
the Falcons, based on how they immediately signed a guard to a similar contract, um, but cheaper, like right after the Saffold signing was confirmed. So, yeah, I mean, I've historically been against it. He's an exception to the rule. So I think Titans fans should be most excited about this move. And I like that you bring up this idea of having a strong left side of the offensive line because that was a big topic of conversation at Saffold's press conference today. He talked a lot about you know, the, the tweet from Taylor Lewan asked him to be best friends. But really, he, he gave an interesting quote. He said that you know, when you have two offensive linemen as athletic as, as Roger is and as athletic as Taylor Lewan is, and you have them next to each other, he said that sometimes you just get those freak of nature plays. Mm. And he's right. And you yeah. know what? Derrick Henry is the perfect running back for an offense that wants freak of nature plays. Can you guys imagine being a cornerback and seeing Taylor Luan and and, Roger and, and Derrick, Derrick Henry, Henry behind yeah. them? My gosh. <laughs> I yeah. would poop my pants, man, legitimately. I mean, this offense has the potential to be so scary if they can just clean a couple of things up. Like, yeah. if people stay healthy, if they get depth in the right spots, you know, this team – could be a definitely a top half of the league in terms of scoring offense and probably top 10 if they find somebody outside to play wide receiver who's good mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm just I'm so I've been burned so many times before that I'm just going to be <laughs> cautiously optimistic uh, I want to end with this I, yeah. oh go ahead Matthias no no I, I was just agreeing Oh, okay. Well, I, I want to end with this, uh, the discussion of, about Saffold. I want to play what he said earlier today about uh, his familiarity with Arthur Smith slash Matt LaFleur's uh, terminology. Uh, absolutely. I mean, it definitely cures a lot of anxiety that you have just with going to a new place. You're not quite sure like how things are going to work. And, and then now knowing that the terminology is going to pretty much stay the same and, and Working with some guys that understand, you know how how those plays are supposed to be played. It's going to be easier talking and communicating so that we can, you know, get the the highest amount of efficiency and yards out of each play that we run. And that's why I think that this signing makes so much sense. It's the fact that he knows this offense, right? This is the exact offense that he was successful in. In Los Angeles, this isn't going to be an Andy Lavitri situation where it was a different system and it didn't really work out. And then once he went back to Atlanta, he was fine. This is literally the system that he worked in before. It's the same terminology. This is the Matt Lafleur slash Sean McVay system, and that's going to make things so much easier for him. Because you got to think about it. This is a guy who has played for the same team for nine years. This is the first time since he left college that he's making a transition. How much easier is it for him to not have to learn anything? Yeah, it really it really should be a smooth transition. Uh, I know uh, golf gets a lot of praise, but, but deep down the Rams are a power running team. Uh, and it's been the reason for their offensive success for the past couple of years under McVay um, and with Lafleur um, for for that one year when he was offensive coordinator. So, so I really do think this this is a perfect fit, um, and there really shouldn't be any any getting used to anything. And especially when you have uh, Taylor Luan to your left to just make things so much easier for you, um, should should be good. 
I wonder if this, and we're, we'll talk about this closer to the draft, I wonder if this makes them think at all about getting a new center and moving Ben Jones to right guard. And, well, I, I again, mm-hmm. don't like interior offensive linemen in the first round. But if you can get a guy like Bradbury or somebody who fixes center and improves right guard and kind of makes you a better line as a whole, yeah, I think that's a really good idea. But the other thing that could happen is if you've got experience at left guard and left tackle and you've got a guy you really like in Corey Levin, now may be a really good time when you've got this kind of coach on the field who's still in his prime in Saffold. It may be a really good time to put them together because he, I mean, Levin's really athletic. Like, Spain had good athleticism for his size, and Conklin does too. But Levin, I think, is actually legit athletic. So, like, you put a guy like that in the center, and then you move Ben Jones over to right guard, and then have Conklin and Kelly fight at right tackle. I think you can improve the team without having to give up anything more than what you have now. It just all depends on what the evaluation is. But, yeah, I mean, that's... It goes back to that point where, you know, Saffold being basically another coach on the field is a huge benefit to have. And, you know, it, the fact that they have the same terminology, it, it's it's another asset that he brings. I don't, I don't think the Titans are, are done fixing the interior line. Um, I don't either. The, I don't know. I, they might the, be done in free agency, but I, I certainly don't think they're done. Yeah, the other day, um, I think it was yesterday, um, they worked out uh, a bunch of offensive line prospects, uh, including a couple guards. Um, I think Ben Shave, I can't say his name, Ben Shawell, I don't know, from from uh, from Wisconsin, uh, yeah. and then Michael Dieter also were, were part of that group. So, I mean, I know you have to pretty much work out everyone uh, um, for the draft, um, but but I think it's it's something to take note of. Um, and probably a sign that that they're not done. Um, yeah. Before before we go too much farther, uh, I think Teron Davenport has said a lot about this. But um, Stefan Wisniewski, who has been around for a long time and he's kind of bounced around the league, he's mm-hmm. a really solid. Like, I mean, he had a down year, but he's played center a lot in his career, and they've kind of moved him around. And he's been a utility piece. Kind of that Kevin Panfield kind of guy, even though we did re-sign Kevin Panfield, but somebody who's played his best football in his own scheme. I I really wonder if, if they're going to add somebody else. Like I would almost rather them go and just find an athletic center because I think that's the position you've got to upgrade. I think if you put, if you can move Ben Jones, he can be an upgrade at right guard. You've just got to find a center who's going to be as good or better than Ben Jones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we'll obviously dive way more into that in, in the coming weeks. Uh, last free agent addition that the Titans have made to this point is uh, defensive end Cameron Wake. I was talking to Will before the show about how this was a really interesting one for me because the other two were names that I had heard thrown around a lot for the Titans. A lot of people wanted him to bring in Saffold. A lot of people wanted him to bring in Humphreys. Cameron Wake is a name that I never really heard you know, as a possibility, Will, I think you mentioned uh, uh, John Glennon mentioning on uh, on 104.5 The Zone the, the potential, you know, is maybe a potential fit. Look, m- perhaps this idea of a 3-4 to 4-3 transition is overblown, but the thing that most intrigues me about this is, and we'll get more into this as we go, 
Cameron Wake was asked almost exclusively. In fact, I'll just say he was asked exclusively to play on the left side of the defensive line last year. And that's what Harold Landry does. So is Harold Landry now going to play a more strong side defensive end role on the right? You know, where's the fit there, I guess? That's a good question. Wake played on the left, right? So he went up against right tackles mostly. I watched two games, and I did not see a single snap where he played on the right side. Yeah, yeah. So he went up against right tackles. So didn't hit. So Landry played against left tackles mostly last year, didn't he? Because he, he uh, replaced Arakbo for a bunch of games. From what I remember, like he, I remember one of his sacks came against Lane Johnson. I have that memory. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Colts game, the Colts game, it, it came against the right left tackle also. Okay. Yeah. So um, I th- I I think that that will probably stay the same. I don't think Wake will move. Um, and I, I think that's right. I mean, ideally, you'd like to get Landry up against those right tackles just because they're they're naturally less talented and usually um, not as good. Um, but Landry's just so quick. It really doesn't even matter. Yeah, uh, and, yeah. and I think we're, we're going to see a big leap from him uh, this coming season. Yeah, I mean, Landry moved around. Like, he flip-flopped sides of the line. Um, and so did, but I mean, so did Derek Morgan and Brian Arakpo, I believe, last year. So they were also guys who had spent the, at least the last two years of their career before that on one side or the other. So, I mean, I think they'll probably ask him to line up wherever. Like, they'll probably, I mean, just to get him comfortable, they may have him 70% on the left side and 30% on the right side. But, I mean, with a guy like Cameron Wake, like who's probably going to be a situational player, you can kind of build around him and not have to worry about it too much. Like Harold Landry can get his rushes against right tackles on first and second down, and then you can have Cam Wake come out, and then if Landry's beating his guy like a drum, beating the right tackle like a drum, you leave him over there and you let Wake go to the other side. If not, you let Wake come in and see if he can do any better. And, I mean, I think guys can adapt more easily especially on the defensive line can adapt more easily to flipping sides there than they can you know kicking inside or something like that it's not as big of a transition i don't think so as long especially if they've got like the wide side of the field to work with so i I mean i I don't think it's too much of an issue I, i think you know it just put him where he's comfortable and then adjust around that. And if you only get 15 or 20 snaps out of him again, that's fine as long as you're using him effectively and he's doing what you're asking him to do. I have a uh, – I mean, uh, what you were talking about, uh, Wake's transition to um, being like a 3-4 outside linebacker. Uh-huh. So I know this is forever ago, but uh, in 2010 uh, under Mike Nolan, the, the Dolphins actually ran a, like a hybrid 3-4 scheme. Oh, okay. um, and Wake had Wake had 14 sacks as a as a three four outside linebacker that year. So um, I, I think he'll be fine. I, I know obviously. I mean, he's 37 now. Uh, but if he's used as a rotational piece and not not as an every down player, um, I still think he's going to be incredibly productive from a pass rush uh, perspective. Yeah, that that's a good nugget. I'm going to uh, tweet that out in just a minute and and give you give you full credit for that nugget. Just uh, research just in case. <laughs> yeah, I'll I'll go to uh, to, to double check that. Um, what I noticed in watching some uh, 
tape on Wake yesterday is that he's much more in the Arakpo mold than the Harold Landry mode. Yeah, he, he does have some bend to him, and he, and he certainly is, is fast, but he's, he's very much a speed-to-power rusher. He lines up in a very wide stance, and then when he gets to the right tackle, he uses his hands very, very well. That kind of tree trunk, you know, I, you know, my, my mind, it's escaping me the term that's supposed to be used for that. You know, when the defensive end just sticks his hand out. What's that long. called? Yeah, the long. long arm. Yeah, yeah, he's very good with that. That's, that's his go-to pass rush move, and I think that's good because I think the Titans needed – no, they didn't need another Harold Landry. They needed another Arakpo. Yeah, for sure. We we needed a, a power guy um, because Landry's just clearly that speed um, burst and, and, and Ben guy. Um, that's just really tough, uh, really tough to deal with. But yeah, I I agree. An Arakpo replacement was probably um, high on the list for the Titans. Um, a direct replacement within his mold, and I think Wake is probably. Um, the best um, that, that we could get. I, I mean, Justin Houston probably would have been a good one too, but um, the market on him has been really quiet. So that, that's that's something to keep an eye on, um, just to see what we could have gotten for, or or if we were even interested in him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I think Wake is a guy who you can just put on the field. Like he's he's not like Houston is probably still that guy a little bit but he's like predominantly a pass rusher. Wake, I think you can still put on the field on second down. Like on second and 10, you can put him out there and you're not worried about somebody coming underneath and them running a draw and getting a first down run. Like he's, you know, very capable in the run game. I, I don't I don't think that's why you pay him all the money. I think you pay him all that money so he can get to the quarterback. But I think that helps his case and it'll help his career Maybe next year, if he kind of loses a step and kind of progresses that way, it'll help him stick on the roster a little bit longer than if he was just a speed power kind of or speed to power kind of guy. But I mean, he's balanced. He's really technical. I, I mean, I like him a lot. Plus, he's really intense. Like you know, if you're talking about getting dudes on the team who are jacked up, I mean, he's really intense without being dirty or anything like that. So I, I, I'm excited for him i'm not as excited for him as i am for saffold which sounds weird but i am excited they got him instead of some other guys awkward silence which doesn't happen that often (laughs) you know when we when we first started recording this show a year or so ago that happened all the time we would just sit there and and there would just be blank space that would have to be edited out uh, as we close out talking about the free agents, we're going to transition into one final topic. But I want to share a quote uh, from earlier today from uh, Dave McGinnis, who's a uh, former NFL head coach, defensive line coach, and now works as the Titans radio analyst. He said today uh, after the press conferences, he looked at us, he said, you know, in this free agency, the Titans filled three needs. They didn't screw up their salary cap, although I don't think he used the word screw. <laughs> And they didn't lose any draft capital. How often does that happen? Yeah, I think John Robinson played it really well. Uh, I think he has in the past, mostly. Um, I didn't love the penchant for for bringing in former Patriots, um, particularly last offseason. I was fine with Logan Ryan just because um, he, he was young and he was still in the prime of his career. Um, I didn't love the Butler and Lewis signings, but other than that, I, I've been 
I've been totally on board with with what he's done in free agency to this point in his tenure. Um, and, and this has been probably my, my, my favorite free agency class so far, um, just because we filled um, needs th- that were that, that were like very clear and obvious. Uh, and I've noticed that under Robinson, um, the needs that the fan base kind of thinks we have or, or knows that we have, Robinson thinks pretty much the same way. Yeah, um, and he has he's for not, years. Yeah, yeah. And he always addresses them, um, usually via the draft, actually. Um, uh, and then in free agency, he, he, he plugs in depth pieces at, at some of those need positions. Um, so it was intriguing to see him go um, – uh, go with kind of the uh, I'm assuming we're going to see the same route in the draft um we'll probably get an edge rusher early um but I like that he went out and, and addressed the interior o-line uh really quickly with an elite player yeah and, and that's interesting the one thing that comes to mind with him is I think there was a year where about a week before the draft I wrote an article like you know these are five needs that the Titans can fill in the draft and I then, the next week, watched John Robinson systematically fill each of those five needs. And it's just because he's so in tune. And there was another time where I was talking to someone during day three of the draft. I said, you know, I just wish that in the seventh round, the Titans would just take someone who ran a 4-3. And then they took Kalfani Muhammad. (laughs) Now, that didn't work out, but he understands how football works where it feels like a lot of general managers are just not in touch with the game, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think John Robinson's always tried to go into the draft with one or no needs. And that's hard on a roster that had so many holes, but you know, you could almost tell the year we took Corey Davis and Adore Jackson, you could almost tell it's like, okay, this team desperately needs a corner and a wide receiver. And that's what he did. And when we needed Conklin, it's like, okay, this team desperately needs somebody yeah. opposite uh, Lawan, who's not, you know, Jeremiah Potassi or Svitek or whatever. And they did that, and they upgraded. And then last year, as much as we all loved Harold Landry, I think we knew that the place that was where you would replace the most snaps with a capable starter would be linebacker. Mm-hmm. And Rashawn Evans was not the guy I, I necessarily wanted to see. I wanted them to get Leighton Vanderash, and you know that's turned out well. But so is, so is Rashawn Evans. So it's it's clear to me that Robinson really likes to go into a draft with usually one need that he can focus on. And as soon as the Titans had signed Saffold, I was like, okay, we're going to sign a backup edge, and we're going to go after an edge player in at nineteen and. I still think that's very much the idea, but I'm glad he signed. Well, I was not expecting the Wake signing, but the way it's structured is essentially Wake is a one-year one deal. Yeah, it's a one-year deal with very little, I think uh, just a couple million dollars in penalties if they cut him next year. And I mean, it, it, it's really hard for me to imagine a world where you know they keep him. But if he's good this year, you can never have enough good pass rushers. And, exactly. I mean, they, I don't care how old he is. If he's still playing well, <laughs> then he's going to be on the team. Exactly. Third, yeah, if he's your third edge in terms of snaps and he's still getting six to eight sacks a year, pay, I mean, pay him like the Panthers did with Julius Peppers. Like, you keep that guy for as long as he's producing. So, And, and, and to your point, every now and then you get a Terrence Newman, you get a Julius Peppers, someone who just defies father time. 
Maybe he's yeah, one of I, them. I mean, he was 36 last year and looked pretty good. Yeah, if, if I, did, I honestly didn't know he was that old, like, because I forget that he, you know. He came went, in late. Uh, he came from the CFL. Yeah, like, I always forget that happened. I mean, if you told me he was 36 last year, there's no way I would have thought that. I mean, I thought he was, like, 32 or 33, because that's how he's always played. Like, he doesn't play like an old player. So, I, I'm, I'm excited for that. I think they've eliminated the need for a guard. I think you can find a later round guy. I think they've eliminated the need for a slot wide receiver and there's still like specific things they need. But I mean, Robinson did a great job of saying, okay, really? He said, these are the four things I need to upgrade. And he got Vaccaro back, Saffold, Humphreys and wake. And only one of those guys is costing double digit money per year. And that's the safest of those picks in Saffold. So you know, he he did a great job of not saying, okay, I want Golden Tate because he's a slot receiver and I'll pay him, you know, 14 or $15 million, even though that's more than anybody else will pay. I mean, he had really competitive offers. Like, he didn't seem to overspend or outspend anybody, and yet he came away with, you know, three capable starters and a really solid rotational guy. And like I said, I didn't have any idea how he's going to fit this under the cap, but all the credit in the world to him. As we close, uh, last topic. Favorite and least favorite non-Titans free agency move. Not trade, free agency move. Because my favorite would be Odell Beckham. Uh, for my favorite, I'm going to say Tevin Coleman to the 49ers. Obviously, Shanahan was able to get a lot out of Tevin Coleman back in his Atlanta days. I think that's a good fit, and I think it fills a need because – as good as Jarrett McKinnon is out of the backfield, I don't know how much he gives you as an actual runner, whereas Tevin Coleman is big enough where he can kind of provide that powerful presence. Worst signing is going to be at two, and it's going to be the Packers' edges, Preston Smith <laughs> and Zadarius Smith. I, I just don't get giving those guys who have never – totaled 10 sacks in a season. And don't give me this, well, we can't measure defensive end efficiency in sacks. Yes, you can. That's their job. Yeah. So that's mine. Okay. Uh, my favorite signing is probably Mark Ingram to the Ravens. Uh, Ingram's one of my favorite running backs in the league. He's just really versatile. He's, he's turned into a really good pass catcher out of the backfield. Um, and, and when he gets going, he is just a load to bring down, and he's a lot of fun to watch. Um, and especially on that Ravens team with Lamar Jackson at, at quarterback, and if they run a lot of the same uh, sets uh, out of the backfield that they did last year, they're going to be a lot of fun to watch, uh, especially with Ingram back there. I think he could have a huge season. Uh, worst signing, I mean, it's Foles, right? That's a that's a terrible well, signing. I, I, don't, I, mean, I mean, he's better than Bortles, and he's making about the same amount of sure. money. Sure. Sure. Okay, I'll give you. All right, then it'll be a a combo. It's okay. the full signing with the Bortles uh, release because they <laughs> ate sixteen and a half million dollars in money just to get rid of him, yeah, and right. then uh, and then they gave Foles fifty million dollars guaranteed because he's pretty much the only quarterback available, uh, and they think somehow he's going to recreate that that Eagles magic, even though the Jaguars have an awful offensive line and pretty much no skill position. Leonard talent. Leonard yeah, I'm sure it'll go Durant. great. Go Jaguars. <laughs> okay, so, I mean, Matisse, you're 100% right. The Foles contract is awful. I mean, 
even even beyond like the fact of what it looks like on paper, the Mike Garofolo and uh, Ian Rappaport did the like did the live breakdown. I think uh, Garofolo was on the phone with either the agent or whoever who was telling him the details. And later they came back and said the Jaguars essentially bid against themselves. They yeah, exactly, yeah. which was so they, odd. They gave him so much in guarantees because they wanted the locker room to think they had a leader. And then yeah. he couldn't even get his number from the punter. Like the punter still <laughs> has what he wear seven no. in in Philadelphia. No, he wore nine. He's wearing okay. seven in Jacksonville. Seven yeah, he's wearing seven now, and the punter has nine, and he won't give it up to him. No. Like that's your locker room list this is a quote from somebody's tweet because he said this and i've I've retweeted it but i mean he essentially said you know when your quarterback who you insisted on giving 50 million dollars guaranteed can't buy his number from the punter like that guy cannot be your locker room leader i remember suck up gave up eight for Mariota when he got here See, that's that's a true leader (laughs) but uh, jersey numbers that's how you base it that's right. If you can, if you can keep your jersey number, you're going to be successful. Um, punter. So do what? Who's the punter for the Jaguars? Because I don't know. Because it's not anger. It, uh, it, it oh, doesn't. Logan Cook. Oh yeah, number you nine. Can't get your number from this guy. Come <laughs> you on. Know, the famous number nine. Um, so so Will, who's your favorite signing? Uh, my favorite signing is uh, Matt Paradise. Three yeah, years. I like that too. I mean, he, he makes $9 million, and he's instantly the Panthers' best offensive lineman. And, you know, he's consistent. You can franchise tag him after that, and he probably won't be that expensive. And you've got to keep Cam Newton upright. My, my least favorite deal isn't the Foles one, even though it's terrible. It's the Tyron Matthew contract. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. they paid him Earl Thomas money when – I. I mean, I, there's no safety I can relate him to. I, I saw him get outrun by Jonu Smith. I saw him and the rest of his defensive backs give up a 22 out of 23 performance to Mariota. Yeah. Like, it's just, it, there's no way he was worth half of that, much less all of that. So that was by far the worst deal I saw. Well, that's going to do it for us. Um, assuming that the Titans aren't done in free agency, once the second and third waves hit, we'll be back at some point to talk about the rest. And uh, then we're going to hop into draft coverage. It's that it's finally that time of year. So look for Jim mm. Coburn to make a return. Look for we'll probably get Justin Mello back on here. Uh, maybe some others as well. It's it's, it's finally draft. It's overrated. Yeah, I don't I don't think that's a uh, that's a hot take. All <laughs> right, um, well, that's going to do it for us. We'll see everybody next time. Thanks for listening as always. Uh, for Matthias and Will, I'm Luke Worsham. See you next time. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.